I love the gospel. We love the gospel here, don't we? We look and we look around this congregation and we are sinners. Every one of us, every last one of us, saved by grace. Every one of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are believers because of grace. Because we have faith and it's faith alone that is in Christ alone. Our hope, our only hope is that he took our sins upon himself. Our only hope is that he gives us his righteousness. That's the only hope that we have in this life is the gospel. It's not about did we do enough? Did we give enough? Have we raised our hands? Are there tears when we sing? It's not about how we dress or any of those things. It is about Christ and him crucified. And we love the gospel here. We shift now to John chapter 3. And we'll be looking at the remainder of this chapter. John chapter 3 beginning in verse 22. And I, I want to read the entirety of, of the passage. And then we'll take a look at it. If you don't have a Bible here, there's Bibles underneath the pews. And you're going to want to follow along. So grab one. John chapter 3 beginning in verse 22. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. And there he remained with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. And John had not yet been thrown into prison. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. In verse 25, then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. And John the Baptist answered and he said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. And he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies. And no one receives his testimony. He who, has received his te- he who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. An incredible passage before us on this morning. We read in this passage this circumstances in which we we see very closely into the heart of the people who are in this narrative. We look and we see a couple different people. One in verse twenty five, you see the disciples of John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist's disciples are there and, and there's the Jews who are there and they're arguing about something regarding purification. We don't know the details of what it is that they're arguing about. The Bible doesn't tell us the details, but you just see two groups of people, the disciples of John the Baptist and these particular Jews that are arguing about purification. They're arguing. Even though the Son of God, the creator of the universe, was right there. I mean, they're, they're looking at it and saying, well, we have a, this argument that's going on about purification. John, you're baptizing, and maybe they're looking at Jesus, and he's baptizing, and there's so many more people being baptized by, by the disciples of Jesus, and he's, he's looking, they're looking at it, and they're talking about purification, and they're arguing about these things. But not even knowing that the one in whom they have been waiting for, the one in whom the Old Testament had been prophesying of, when he was going to come and what he was going to be like and all that he was going to do was right there. I mean, right there. And they're arguing about purification. We also see into the heart of men in verse 26 where it says, we're told that in this particular verse that the disciples of John the Baptist were jealous that so many people were following Jesus rather than John the Baptist. And so here it is. Jesus is there. John the Baptist is the one who was to proclaim that Jesus was coming. And now Jesus is is there and John the Baptist has his disciples that are there and they're with him and they're following him and they're coming and, and they're saying, we don't have very many people following us anymore. John the Baptist, you had... You had all of these people following you. I and mean, there was just multitudes that were coming to hear you. And now they're going, now they're going towards Jesus. And they're jealous. They're looking at it saying, we want them back. We want them with us. And they're going towards Jesus. You see, even the disciples of John the Baptist didn't totally get it. They didn't get it. They didn't get that he's pointing to Christ who was coming, coming to, to minister, coming to die on the cross for their sins, that he was the forerunner. They're jealous. And then in verse 32, we see that Jesus came from above, testifying and teaching the people all that they needed to know, but the people were not receiving his testimony. So you see just sin that's there within three different people or three circumstances there. Those that were arguing about the purification those that were jealous about those that were following Jesus, and those that are there and they're hearing the testimony of Christ, and they just, they don't believe it. They don't believe. Now let's go to verse 22. We're going to look at, as we go through our text, just this radical contrast with John the Baptist. In verse 22 it says, After these things Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized um, after these things, after these things, as far as what he taught with Nicodemus, who was there, they go, and Jesus and his disciples, into the land of Judea. It tells us here that he remained with them and baptized, but in, in John chapter 4, he clarifies that, saying, therefore, um, as it goes through, it says, when, they, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, and then it makes a little quote in verse 2, Though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples. 
Okay, so we look at this and we see that Jesus is there and his disciples are baptizing people. And when he baptizes them, it's as if when, when the disciples are baptizing them, it's as if Christ is baptizing them himself. It goes on and says, now, John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. Just a side note on that particular verse before we move on is there's different modes of baptism in the church today. Um, there's those churches that sprinkle. There's those churches that maybe pour a little bit of water. And there's those churches that do full immersion where you go underwater. We, we at our church believe in, in full immersion when we baptize. But just a note as you look at this, it says that he baptized, they baptized in this particular area because there was much water there. Um, just one of the, the, the sections that would lend towards full immersion and baptism. You don't need much water to sprinkle. Um, and yet they're there in this particular area and they're, and they're baptizing. Even the word baptized, it, it means to go and to be totally submerged. Um, you look in, and um, you, you see in other places in Scripture, for, for example, um, in Matthew 3.16, it says, When Jesus had um, been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. Um, once again, the, the idea of coming up from the water and that picture of, of, of being immersed completely. Just a side note. You go on to verse 24 and it says, For John had not yet been thrown into prison. So John is clarifying here. At this particular time, John the Baptist had not yet been thrown into prison. In verse 25, Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. Everybody's coming to him. They're there, and John the Baptist is still baptizing, still pointing people towards Christ. But his disciples are looking and saying, we used to have so many people, and now they're all going towards him. But look how John answers. He answers and says in verse 27, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. He brings them right back to A man doesn't get anything unless it comes to him from heaven. He's looking at his life, and John the Baptist is looking, and he's remembering the multitudes that came, now sees these disciples that are with him who are jealous, and he just begins to tell them, anything that we had as far as those disciples that came, those that were following us, the multitudes that were there, they were all there as a result of what God was doing. This isn't about me and about Jesus. It's not about that. It is about the fact that God used me for a very specific reason, for a very purpose, to point people towards Christ, but it was Him. In 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says, For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if, indeed you, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? We look at this, and to, to me, as we look at this, he gives an answer that is the opposite of being man-centered. It's just the opposite. You look, and it's, it comes from above. 
All of it comes from above. Um, you know, I, I, I welcome some, some new visitors from the church. And if you're new and I haven't welcomed you yet, welcome. But just telling them a little bit about the church. We, we started nine years ago, this September 4th, nine years. Um, we're blessed. We have uh, a wonderful church congregation. I look around this sanctuary, and man, it is like family. You, we love. I mean, we love you. We know you love us as a family. We, we, we look in, and there's people that are using their gifts just to minister to the rest of the family, rest of the body. We, we, we see our kids just growing in the ways of the Lord. The youth ministry just got back from Big Basin on a retreat and just heard incredible things of what God did there. Um, look, and we, and we, we see a, a congregation that loves the gospel, that loves God's word, that loves doctrine, that loves proclaiming the gospel, that desires to go and to be a light here in this world. And some wonderful things about our church. We're blessed with just a wonderful building to meet in. We can have VBS. We've never done that before. People serving and making VBS happen. And I look and it's not because we had a good strategy. You're not here because we advertised well. We didn't advertise. We're not here because we handpicked people that would be just really good to be a part of this church. You just came. I mean, only people I made come was my wife, <laughs> although she did it willingly. My parents kind of forced them. But besides that, just people came. The, the result that we see here is, is such that all the glory goes to him. If you, if you knew how we got this building, it's just absolutely miraculous how it happened. It's just miraculous. A church that's our size that four years ago, you know, less than five years into the church to be able to purchase a building in South Orange County. It, our, our 93-year-old pastor, Bill Acton, said the only way we'll ever get a building is it will have to be miraculous. And it was. And you look and you see the details of everything and all the glory goes to him. It came from above. It wasn't us. But there's churches that are in the area that started at the same time as us and they've exploded. They're far bigger than us. And there's churches that are smaller that started at the same time or maybe even years before. It's not about how big we are. It's not about how healthy we are. It's not looking at it saying like, gosh, we've achieved and look at where we're at. Where we're at is all to the glory of God. It's God that works in our hearts, isn't it? We look in where you are at in your life. It's not the result of just how hard you've worked. It's a result of Christ in you. I mean, you may be a student of Scripture, and you go through, and you want to know Scripture, and you want to know Him better, and you may discipline yourself into godliness, and you're in prayer every day, and you fast, and you're in fellowship, and you have people holding you accountable, and you look, and, and, and you resolve to just live for Him, and to serve Him, and to use the gifts that God's given you. But even that resolve is not you. It is Him that has worked 
in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure, in such a way that all the glory goes to him for everything in us. You see where John the Baptist is there in in Matthew 16, where his disciples say, or I'm sorry, Jesus is there, and his disciples say, who do men say that I am? I, the Son of Man, am. His response was, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Even the, the knowledge of Peter, looking and seeing all the miracles that Jesus had done, listening to his teaching, paying attention, being zealous, being there and, 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 and walking with Christ and leaving his fishing boat and going and following Christ. When he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus says, how blessed are you? Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood, it's not what revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven is the one who revealed this to you. And so we sit here today as believers, and, and as believers we sit here and just say, God, you revealed yourself to me. You made me who was blind able to see. You made me who had a heart of stone, gave me a heart of flesh. You made me who was dead, alive. You you regenerated me. You made me and caused me to be born again through faith in you. We look at it and it's just all the glory goes to him. This is where John the Baptist is at. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. In verse 28 he says, You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. John the Baptist was consistently saying this from the very beginning. I'm not the Christ. In John 1 and verse 6, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. He's saying, I'm not the light. I'm not I'm to bear witness to the light. I'm not the Christ. I'm pointing people to Christ. You see where John the Baptist there in John chapter 119, as we studied earlier. The priests come and say, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. And he said to him, who, they said to him, who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, I'm just one that is just here, a voice. I'm just a voice. Just a voice pointing you towards Christ, preparing you for Christ. John 3.29 says, now he, John the Baptist continues on, now he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. I love this about this man. You look at him and, and he has disciples and they're saying, 
Why are they going after Jesus? We need to do something different. And he's just saying like, no. No, I'm here because this is where God has me. I'm here to point people towards him, towards Christ. If there was ever a chance to say, I want to follow him. I miss the multitudes. I want people coming after me. That was his opportunity to go and to say, okay, I'm going to go in a different direction. He's going this way, and I'm going to go in the, the opposite way. I, I want people following me, and John the Baptist, no such thing. It's just, uh, it's God that's done this. But he goes from there and says, think about a bride and a bridegroom. You have, you have the bride. You have the bridegroom that is there. And then you got the friend of the bridegroom, the the best man. And you look, and culturally, it was a little bit different then. But John the Baptist just says, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. The bridegroom gets the bride. But the friend of the bridegroom, the one who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. He just, he's filled with joy just to hear the bridegroom there and calling towards his bride. He's the friend of the bridegroom. The friend. And he's just thrilled as far as my friend's getting married today. He's getting married. He's calling out towards his bride. He rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He's looking at it and just saying, okay, I'm here and I, I'm, I got these disciples and you guys don't get it and you just keep complaining and you're jealous and you're arguing about stuff but my joy is so full because because they're following Christ it's not about John the Baptist and my ministry it's about Christ it's about pointing people towards Christ it's about them seeing Christ My joy is fulfilled. Like, and I, I, I see people live like that frequently. Um, their joy is just pointing people towards Christ. We have a group of missionaries that we work with in Niambali, South Sudan. They've been evac'd out because there's fighting that's taking place since last Monday. It's just been brutal in that area. One of the workers' spouse was killed. I mean, it's just brutal. It's this little tiny village just about 50 miles south of Darfur. And I think of that team that's there. No running water. In the middle of the bush. Food that they get primarily is whatever gets shipped into them or they just eat whatever could possibly grow in that area. Diseases are terrible. Not only that, but the people. I mean, you look and, and I did a church leaders conference and talking with the church leaders and that there wasn't one of those men that did not beat their wives. In fact, Charity and Cindy, who were in that area, said that they had never met one woman in that village that was not beaten by her husband on a regular basis. I mean, just brutally beaten. And when they would say, like, no, I mean, Cherry said, my husband does not beat me. When Debbie's there and say, my husband Brian does not beat me, they would just laugh. There's no way. He, he, of course he beats you. 
I mean, you look at just the total depravity there and the, 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 the anguish that those, that team, those missionaries had been under for over 10 years of just there. And yet they're there because they love the gospel. They just want to point people towards Christ. They just want to point them towards Christ. It doesn't matter. I, whatever we deal with, it doesn't matter. We just want to point people towards Christ. We want them to hear the gospel. We want them to know the gospel. We want them to be saved. And so they just stay there and they do medical work and they have a church that's there and they make disciples and they're proclaiming the gospel and they're ministering to the people and they're there because the love of Christ has brought them to that place. And they love Christ. They love the people because they love Christ. And you look at them and they're pointing towards him even though life is difficult and their joy is fulfilled as people are pointed towards the gospel, towards Christ. John the Baptist says, therefore, the, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He goes on in verse 30, he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. Christ must increase. I'm here, and I'm okay with no one else following me. I don't want them. You guys, too, go follow him. I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness, preparing his way. I love what's happening over here. They're following him. They're being baptized. And he says, this is what's supposed to happen. I'm supposed to decrease, and he's supposed to increase. That's what I want to see. That's where my heart is. That's what my passion is, is for that to happen. I want to decrease. I want him to increase. I want him to be exalted. And I just pray that that would be where our hearts are too, that Christ would be such that we would say, we want him to be supreme. We want him to be exalted. I have no desire for you to come here to this church and spend the majority of your time learning more about the pastor than you do about Christ. I've been at churches, honestly, where I sat there just like, I know more about the pastor than I have learned about Christ from the result of his sermon. It's just pathetic. It's about Christ. He must increase. Until Christ returns or calls me home, my heart is that I would just point you to Christ. I just want to point you to Christ. Every part of our church, children's school, the, the, the children's ministry leaders, they, they just want to point the kids to Christ. High school, just point them to Christ. Junior high, young adults ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry. We just want to point people to Christ. Worship. It is not about you guys listening to the worship and participating in the worship and responding with those guys. Rip on that instrument. It's about pointing us to Christ. He must increase. We must decrease. There will be a day when there will no longer be a need for me in ministry and we'll see Christ face to face. There will be a day when we're in heaven and I'll be unemployed. Totally okay with that. You will see him. Francis Chan, some of you may be familiar with him. He was the pastor of a, a huge church in Simi Valley called Cornerstone Community Church. And they had about 4,000 members in the church. And I read an article by CNN about him towards the end of 2010. And it talks about this, this, this pastor of a mega church that's left his church. Um, it says in the article... Francis Chan's unexpected journey there, it's, 
There's no hidden scandal. There's no money trail. There's no other woman. He said, I just want to disappear for a while. Before selling his house and packing up his wife and three children, Chan was becoming what CNN called Christian famous in evangelical circles. He said, even in my own church, I heard the words Francis Chan more than I heard the words Holy Spirit. Because that was a big part of the reason that he walked away at the peak of his professional career. He said, I, I think there's been too much emphasis on me. I want to be used by God, but I think um, we have this desire to make heroes out of people rather than following God and the Holy Spirit. He quotes the Apostle Paul, who told his followers, I didn't die for you. In his mind, it's just, they're talking about me at my church more than they're talking about the Holy Spirit, so I'm going to quit. I'm going to leave. It's time for me to leave. I don't want to be a celebrity pastor. I don't want it to be about Francis Chan. I'm just, I'm leaving. He loves his church. I mean, left him in good hands, but it was just, I think it's becoming too geared towards me. Joshua Harris, who is a senior pastor of Covenant Life Church in Maryland, said, he's the one that wrote that book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, um, also very famous. And he, uh, he went on to, to talk about the same thing and, and said, specifically, gifted people often become more of the focus in the gospel. But you can't build a church around a personality. You get up and, and you preach a sermon and people walk away thinking, what a great guy, and that's a failure of a pastor. Our job is to proclaim Christ. Our job is to proclaim Christ. And I look at that and I just think, right on. Here's John the Baptist. You know what, guys? I'm fine down here. I'm fine. My joy is fulfilled because he's being exalted. He is increasing. I, I exist to decrease. He's increasing. And so we look at it as not just dealing with pastors, but it's dealing with every member of our congregation. You must decrease. Christ must increase in your life. You look at it in, 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 in your marriage. Christ must increase. May you become just the servant of all. May you be at a place of just, I just want Christ to be supreme. I will just pour myself into loving my spouse and being there. But may, may Christ increase in our marriage. In our families, may Christ increase. May he be the center. May it not be about us. In our jobs, may Christ increase and may I decrease. I don't care if I get the promotion. May Christ increase in my job. Amongst our friends, may Christ increase. I don't care if they don't want to be my friends anymore. May Christ increase. I'll decrease. I'll become nothing. I don't care. I just want my joy to be fulfilled. And the way my joy is fulfilled is Christ increasing. And John the Baptist just literally just fills it out to the point where his, he, he continues to proclaim holiness. And it results in his head being cut off and there and, and, and placed on a platter. And he dies. But that was his desire, that Christ would increase and that he would de- decrease. We just sang a song there at the end, my Jesus, I love thee. And you look here and the song goes, my Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now.
I love thee because thou hast first loved me and purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. And then I can think of John the Baptist with this last stanza. I'll love thee in life and I'll love thee in death. And praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath. And say when the death dew lies cold on my brow, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. And I assure you, when, that, when he was there and he knew that his head was going to be taken off, he's there just saying, I love him. I must decrease, he must increase. I'm not going to stop from proclaiming holiness and pointing people towards Christ. And, and when the death dew lied cold on his brow, they're just saying, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. I just love him. My whole purpose was to point people towards him. May Christ increase in our lives. In verse 31 it says, Now, he who comes from above is above all. For he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. And he who comes from heaven is above all, referring to Christ. Christ is different than everybody else. John the Baptist is saying. He's different. I must decrease. He must increase. I don't care if people aren't following me. I want them following him because he's above all. The one who comes from above is above all. Me, who comes from the earth, is earthly. And I speak of of the earth. But he who comes from heaven is above all. He, He is not simply the messenger. He is the one who is giving the message. I'm here just to proclaim him. But it is all about Christ. It's all about him. Verse 32, and and what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. Christ is coming, and he's giving that message specifically from God to all the people, but the people are not receiving his testimony. They're rejecting him over and over and over again. So John the Baptist is looking and just saying, he brought the greatest message anybody could ever hear, but they're not believing it. But then he talks about some that are. In verse 33, he who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. He who has received his testimony, he who believes what Christ is saying, certifies that God is true. Takes that signet ring and says, it's sealed, it's sealed. I know that this is true. You picture there where Jesus is being baptized and the Holy Spirit descends upon him. And there's a voice that comes from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is the testimony. The Apostle John later on wrote in 1 John 5 and verse 9, If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which has testified of His Son. He who believes in the Son of God has this, the witness in Himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given his son. He who has a son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. These things I've written to you that to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So there's two different possible people here in our church today. There's those that have received the testimony of God. 
This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Those that have received the testimony, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. But there's only one way that you can go to heaven, that is through Christ. Making it so clear that you're not saved by works, you're saved by faith in Christ alone. Making it so clear that, that there is a way for your sin to be removed because it's removed as you believe in Christ and your hope is in Christ, that his sin was taken upon himself, that your sin was taken upon himself and his righteousness is placed upon your account. He who believes that testimony has life. But he who does not believe that testimony, the wrath of God is still on him. He does not have life. But called, has called God a liar, saying that God is not true. God says there's only two different kinds of people, those that receive the testimony and those who do not. And this, this passage before us is radical. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. Do we believe it? pray to God that as a congregation, we would look and say, I believe it. I absolutely believe it. I believe, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, took my sins upon himself. My only hope in this life is that my sins were placed upon him. My only hope in this life is that he gives me his righteousness because I have none. My righteousness is filthy rags in his sight and I'm in desperate need of the righteousness of Christ. My only hope for eternity in heaven is that I would be found in him, having his righteousness, not my own. It's my only hope in this life is that God sent his son and his son became sin for me so that I could be forgiven of my sin and that I could have eternal life in him. And if you believe that testimony, you say God is true. I believe it. But on the other side, you don't believe the testimony and God just says, then you're just saying that God's a liar. When he came down and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, listen to him. You just looked and said, no, he's a liar. When it says God sent his only begotten son, you looked and said, like, nah, liar. When, when God says that you must believe in him, you looked and said, like, nah, I think there's another way. Liar. I mean, it just, it, it points it out so clearly. In the passage there in 1 John, he who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. So verse 33, he who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. Verse 34, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the spirit by measure. Um, Jesus, there's a contrast between Jesus and John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit was not given to Jesus by measure. It was given to him fully. The Holy Spirit had fully come upon Christ. And God did not give Christ the Spirit by measure. And in Colossians 2.9, it says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It was God himself that came and spoke truth and told truth and told us how we might be saved. In John 3.35, it says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Loves him. And then it concludes with verse 36. And he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. What a verse. 
What a verse. What a freeing verse for the believer here this morning. He who believes the Son has everlasting life. That's us as believers. You you believe in Christ. You believe that God sent his only begotten Son and took his Son and nailed him to the cross. Took the wrath that we deserved upon his Son placed it on his son. He became that sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He would give us a righteousness that's foreign, that's not our own. And you believe that this morning. The reality of your belief in that is that you love him. You desire to live for him. You hate your sin. You want to pursue righteousness. You want to live. If you have fallen down in this race, you get up and you look towards Christ and you run hard towards the finish line. You just want to finish well. You live for him. You love him. You're a tree that bears good fruit. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Everlasting life. Your, Your final breath here on earth followed by entering into the joy of the Lord. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. He wipes away every tear. He, he, there's no more sin. There's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. You're in intimate fellowship with him. You get to see his glory. You get to spend eternity with your brothers and sisters in Christ, worshiping him and, and just in an eternal state of just awe and glory. But he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. What a radical contrast that is. What a radical contrast that is. And I sat there talking with one of my former soccer players who, in the last couple of weeks, had attempted to, to take his life. I just sat there, there's no faith in Christ. And, and, and just talking with him and just saying, like, do, you, do you have any idea that if had you been successful in taking your life as an unbeliever, it would not have been better. I, I just went and just laid out eternity in hell, blackest darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. The fire's and quench. The worm can't die. You're away from the glory of God. It's whatever the worst moment is for you here on earth is just nothing in comparison to eternity apart from him. It would have been so much worse for you. And then just pointed him to the gospel. Just pointed him to the gospel. He who believes... In the Son has everlasting life, but he who does not believe shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Do you believe that to be true? The wrath of God abides on them. There's people who say, I don't believe in hell. I just don't believe in hell. God wouldn't send people to hell. Then you call God a liar. He talks about hell more than he talks about heaven. You call him a liar. You don't believe it to be true. It's eternal hell. It's so clear in Scripture. 
but he who believes in him has everlasting life. And that is why we proclaim the gospel here, don't we? We started with the gospel. We started with, it's not how we dress and it's not what we have recited and it is not the sins that we haven't committed. It is all our hope is in the righteousness of Christ that's given to us. May God give us a heart that just is so eager to proclaim the gospel. John says, I wrote these things that you might believe. We've gone through the first three chapters of the book of John that you might believe. I pray that as a result of this, you just look and your only hope in this life is Christ and him crucified. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for John chapter 3. In fact, the very first three chapters of the gospel of John. But specifically our text this morning. What a God we serve. Lord, our hearts were going in directions so opposite of you, just like the people at this time. Arguments over things that didn't matter. Jealousies. Failure to believe your testimony. And yet you saved us. You caused us to see your son and that he died on the cross for our sins and has given us eternal life that whoever, whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And our hope is solely and completely in you on this morning. And we have everlasting life. I thank you so much, Lord, that there's, there's a good chance, Lord, that you brought certain people here this morning who are unbelievers. You're so kind, Lord, to do that. Even though the wrath of God is abiding on them, you, you bring them here to hear the gospel. The clarity of the gospel that it's not about their works. It's not about how many sins they've committed or how much good stuff that they've done. It's, it's all about trusting in you and your son and his death on the cross for their sins. And you give righteousness to us. And it's so clear. It is so clear on this morning, the gospel. You're so kind to bring people here today that are unbelievers. And I, I just pray, Lord, that your kindness would just bring them to repentance this morning as well. May there not be one person that leaves our congregation this morning without the assurance that they have eternal life because their only hope is in your Son, Jesus Christ. May we as your people close our service this morning once again by rehearsing the gospel and just finding great joy in the gospel. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.